Bonjour, dear listeners. Welcome to episode four of the Quebec City Business Destination podcast. In each episode, I'm inviting a woman from the business world or the meetings and events industry. All my guests accomplish creative actions to support women or the industry during the COVID-19 pandemic. Throughout the episodes, we will be hearing about their career path and motivation to add their contribution to the world. My name is Susan Prophet, and I'm Director of Business Development for Quebec City Business Destination. I'm delighted to be your host in today's episode with Courtney Stanley, Global Keynote Speaker, Event MC, and Career Coach. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Our guest today is a keynote speaker, event MC, and speaker coach, and host of the Women Inspired podcast, Dare to Interrupt. She is on the Meeting Professionals International Women's Advisory Board, the Association for Women and Events Board of Directors, and she is one of the meeting's mean business ambassadors. Courtney Stanley specializes in teaching people how to lead with empathy, use their voice to win, and transform adversity into opportunity. Good morning and welcome, Courtney. On behalf of myself and everyone at Quebec City Business Destination, we are so excited to have you join us here on our podcast about women in business and pandemic initiatives. How are you? Hi, Susan. Mm -hmm. I'm doing well. And thank you so much for having me on. And I must say, you have the most perfect podcast host voice. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. (laughs) How are you doing, Susan? Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Just enjoying the warm weather and uh, getting out and getting a lot of exercise and and enjoying uh, our new kayaks. Just really having fun. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Good. Now, Courtney, it seems so long ago since you were here living in Toronto and that we both were on the MPI Foundation Canada board together. Wow, it's it's a decade ago. I, I don't know how time flies. That was a rewarding time raising funds to help members for scholarships and other larger projects like the Canadian Economic Impact Study. I see you are just as busy today with your other advisory board and Association for Women in Events. I know personally, I get a lot out of volunteering and I see you are just as passionate. Can you tell us a bit about these volunteer roles and what some of your objectives are and why you take on these volunteer positions? Absolutely. And gosh, it seems like it was so long ago, Susan, that we were on the foundation board together. I So I have been active in the meetings industry since the second that I was allowed to. <laughs> I think it's such a rewarding opportunity. And I truly do think it is one of those things where it's you're going to you know get more out depending on how much you put in. So I see a ton of value in not just the opportunity to learn and grow, but also to really connect with our industry. You know, we truly do operate in a a community that's very relationship focused. So volunteering has been a really great way to get to know people on a deeper and more meaningful level, especially, you know, when we're working on projects that are so important to the development of the industry. So Currently, I am serving on MPI's Women's Advisory Board, and it's actually my third year serving on that international committee. And one of the one of the things that we're most focused on is really truly how we can better provide opportunities for women in the meetings and events industry to grow. 
So understanding what their needs are, how we can provide resources to them, whether that's mentorship or education or experiences or something like that, where the gaps are and how we can really provide the right opportunities for them to advance. It's a wonderful group of people. I love, absolutely love being a part of that particular community. And then um, the Association for Women in Events has definitely changed a little bit over the past few years. It's transitioned from more of a formal association into an online community. And truly, I think some of my my best friends in the industry sparked from that particular community. It is a group of women who truly, truly want to support each other in the industry. And it's become such a great, not just community, but truly a resource for me. I think, especially, you know, last year during the pandemic, that was my first year as an entrepreneur. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, but that particular community of women really truly was the the support system that I needed to get through that first year, which turned out to be so, so tough. So those are a couple of the groups that I am currently involved in, as well as meetings mean business, um, being an ambassador for them. And really acknowledging the importance of our economic impact as an industry and how we can make sure we create policy that opens the right doors for our industry to grow, which of course is extremely critical during this post-pandemic and still ongoing pandemic time. Yes, yes. Now, now tell me a bit about your life path since you moved back to the U.S. Were you not in Washington for a while or Philadelphia? Where? Yes. <laughs> so let me give you, let me give you yeah. the, the zigzag roadmap. So okay. I um, first of all, loved living in Toronto. It was my yeah. absolute favorite city that I have lived in for so many reasons, probably the multiculturalism being the top reason for loving that, that particular city so much. So I have lived in Nashville. I've lived in Boston, of course, Toronto. And then I moved back to the States and stationed myself in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is on the West side of the state, kind of close to Chicago. Um, my family is from Michigan. I'm a, you know, born and raised Michigander. And so it's been great to just be a little bit closer to my two sisters and to my parents as well. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I know family's so important these days. Always has been for me, but it's so important. I have a mother that's 96. So uh, I want to make sure I, I cherish every moment with her. And that Absolutely. was so lovely to meet your mom on one of the uh, webinars that I joined with you. That yes. was yeah, delightful. <laughs> now, when did you start your own business? And what were some of the challenges you face? And how did you overcome them? Do you have some key learnings to share and do you have any employees or team that you work with? So I have, I launched my business full-time at the beginning of 2020. <laughs> what a time to start a business. I, so I am a full-time keynote speaker, event MC, uh, speaker coach and career coach, and of course, podcaster. And I had been working on these side projects for years. So working full-time in the events industry as a planner, as a supplier on the technology side, um, also focused on PR and marketing. And throughout that full-time work, I had been speaking and writing and podcasting and coaching on the side. And I got to a point probably around the middle of 2019 where I realized that the side projects that I was working on, which had almost turned into a full-time job where I was, you know, hopping on a flight after work hours to go to the West coast of the U S and speak at a conference and then take a red eye back the next day, it became too much. And 
I had to decide, was I going to grow those side projects that I had been working so hard on and truly was passionate about? They were the projects that really lit me up, the speaking, the emceeing, the coaching, or was I going to stay in truly a bit more of a safe space and stick to, you know, a consistent every other week paycheck and, you know, grow my career in, in working for somebody else. And really there's no wrong answer, but for me, I saw more potential and less barriers, which is so funny because 2020 in itself was such a barrier, but less barriers in growing my own business where I really felt like there was an opportunity to be unstoppable. And in the sense where I really was the only person that would be able to limit myself versus working for somebody else where things are a little bit, you know, there's more political, um, just maneuvering and a little bit less opportunity to growth. It wasn't as exponential. So at the, at the end of 2019, I quit my job, my full-time job and decided to take the, the great leap of faith of entrepreneurship and become a full-time keynote speaker and event MC. Oh, season. You're so brave. <laughs> yes. <girl. laughs> it's so funny because you really have no idea. You have no idea what you're getting into. Um, and that really truly is entrepreneurship. It's such a it's such a gray area. And you think you know what life is going to look like. You right. think you know, you know, what your income is going to look like and your day-to-day. -day. And it's so it just it just kind of flips you upside down as soon as you take that leap. So obviously 2020 was probably the most challenging year to launch this type of business, especially in the live events industry. The challenges that came along with this, obviously the biggest one was financial. The I would say probably about 80% of the contracts that I had lined up for 2020 canceled within two to three weeks in March. And then the remaining 20% canceled probably about a month after that. So I think for me, especially going into this new journey, one of the one of the aspects of comfort that allowed me to take that leap of faith was knowing that I would be secure financially because I had these contracts. So it really challenged me to think differently and really creatively and try to figure out how the heck am I going to survive as a business when no events are happening? It took a few months for virtual to really even become a thing. And I think the financial was probably the most difficult aspect, but I'll also say that it was really mentally taxing, really emotionally taxing where the the belief that I had in myself to be able to get through the year and really not know when the pandemic was actually going to end and events were going to open back up. That was truly difficult. And one of the greatest things to come out of 2020 was really just the awareness that my support system was so phenomenal. I don't think I really realized it until I needed that support so much that people truly came out of the woodwork and people from our industry, friends, family, people just showed up, Susan, yeah. in so many meaningful ways yeah. and truly gave me mostly the encouragement that I needed. It wasn't even the referrals or that came a little bit later, but it was just the encouragement, you know, the, the handwritten cards or, you know, sending something to my apartment and just saying, you've got this. Like if anybody can get through this year, it's you, Courtney. And it was truly those words of affirmation that helped me to really just keep walking forward. Oh, what a, what a blessing. 
What a blessing. I'm so I'm so happy because look at what you've become. You know? <laughs> just just amazing. Now I know you're just back from a trip to Europe. How was that experience? Tell us what that was like and anything remarked different from traveling before? Yes. Yes. What an interesting question. So this, I just got back from Italy and the Netherlands, and it's the first international trip that I've taken since the beginning of 2020. It actually felt relatively normal. You know, there were a, a few additional steps like wearing a mask and, you know, getting tested for COVID. That truly was probably the most stressful part just because I like to plan. I like to know, you know, the mm -hmm. step ABC to get to whatever I need to accomplish and the testing you for the Netherlands, um, you actually don't have to be tested to enter the country right now. If you're American, there's a safe list of countries that do not have to do any sort of testing. You don't even actually have to be vaccinated, which is interesting, but to get back into the States, you do have to get tested. So finding a place to get tested in Amsterdam, getting through, you know, the, the Dutch websites and trying to figure those pieces out were probably the most stressful, but not bad definitely doable. Um, it, going into the country of Italy was also quite simple. So for me, I am vaccinated and they do allow fully vaccinated people to enter without any sort of quarantine or testing. So it actually was pretty easy. It wasn't as complicated as I thought it would be. And I think as we see, especially these European countries where the pandemic really began, you know, obviously it began in Asia, but Europe where I mean, Italy, Susan, yes. Italy was one of the places where it was a focal point for this pandemic. It was really uh, such a breath of fresh air to be able to see the country and the tourism start to just flourish and grow. And there were so many tourists there, Susan, there were so <laughs> many people there, which was just great to see because it's, I truly believe that that is going to be the ripple effect and kind of the predictor predictor for what's to come in other countries as they start to get back on their feet as well. Oh, that's great. And that leads me into the next question. How do you believe the pandemic affected our meetings industry? Oh, <laughs> oh, how did it not? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, it, what a time. And our industry has not come back yet. You know, we are we're in the process of getting back up on our feet and starting to walk forward. But, oh, I think the most, the most challenging part for the industry were the layoffs. You know, I mean, people, mm -hmm. the conversations that I had with people who had worked for their companies or their hotels or their DMCs for decades, those people, just the faces of the companies that you would see at industry events every single year, and they were just industry vets, especially those people. It was really difficult to see those friends lose their jobs after, you know, 25, 30 years at a company. I think that was probably the most heartbreaking part of the pandemic. Um, you know, we I applaud the industry for finding different ways to still connect and inspire and educate people through virtual. And now, you know, of course, hybrid is such a hot topic and something that meeting planners are trying out. And a lot of what we saw was, you know, as these team members were being let go or they were being furloughed, a lot of the work fell to one person that used to have a team of 10. And then they were responsible for creating something entirely new within a couple months. So it was truly inspiring to see how the industry really got gritty 
But I do think as we move forward, what I'm looking forward to most is seeing people back in those seats and rehired and just fired up about really the path that we're going to be walking on in the future. Yeah, yeah. I know I've had many challenges over the past year and a half. Losing loved ones was the hardest emotionally. And navigating the new digitized world we are all experiencing uh, is another. Uh, I sure miss face-to-face -face events and welcoming people in our destination. What was the most challenging for you both in your professional life and in your personal life? Yes. Well, I, first I'll say, oh my gosh, I missed face-to-face -to -face too. And I just went to MPI's World Education Congress in Las Vegas about a month ago. And it was absolutely wonderful to see so many friends that just every, so much has changed in the past year. There was so much to catch up on. I will say there was such a gaping hole not having our international family there. For me specifically, my Canadian family, I think I probably look forward to seeing my Canadian friends the most <laughs> at these conferences. So yeah. there was such a such a gap and I really look forward to the, the conference where we do actually truly get to reunite more on an international basis. Um, challenging, I would say the biggest challenge for me last year was not professional. I think, you know, yes, starting my own business was excruciatingly challenging at times, but it was more on the personal side. You know, there were crises that happened within my family, specifically health crises, heart attacks and death and, you know, broken bones. And it truly was just such a crazy year in terms of just the domino effect of things happening one after the next. So I would say more from the family aspect, personally, last year was extremely trying. And I think, again, going back to that support that I had from my friends and industry peers, it made such a difference, such a difference. And I think it was a truly humbling year for a lot of people. And it's interesting, Susan, because I feel like a lot of people had personal tragedy take place in 2020. It wasn't just about, you know, the economy and being locked down. And that of course was really difficult for a lot of people in terms of mental health, but it was also just people had a lot of trauma take place last year with losing family members. And I think it, it really was an opportunity for us to reestablish what truly matters to us. And to me, family has always been number one in my life. But I think last year, even more so, it was, it truly was an opportunity for me to take a step back and really reevaluate re what's, what I'm doing with my time, who I'm spending time with, and making sure that I really am investing in the people that are most important to me in my life. Yeah, I think that's why we get along so well. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I've, I've yeah, I personally lost uh, my my best friend, my bestie, oh. of fifty years. So oh, I, Susan, I know so that sorry. was uh, a tough one. So I I really understand where you're coming from. I recognize now that you you have your own podcast. Did you come up with the idea idea dare to interrupt, or were you approached by meetings today? So Dare to Interrupt was my concept, and I was so excited to pitch this concept to meetings today. Dare to Interrupt um, really truly was inspired by the idea that we aren't having enough real conversations about topics that are 
maybe I don't, I don't want to say taboo, but people just don't talk about enough. So things like working for a really toxic leader or, you know, workplace bullying or sexual harassment or, and Susan, you've seen me speak on these topics over the years. So the topics themselves weren't new to me, but I wanted to really provide a platform and an opportunity for women who have established themselves as, as leaders with integrity and they've built these awe-inspiring careers. And they're women that I truly look to as quality people that I, I personally either have known for years or that I would like to get to know better. And I wanted to give them an opportunity to share not just their story of their career progression, but also the hard stuff, the tough stuff that they have faced over the years and give the audience an opportunity to really learn from them. How did they actually get through those sticky situations and how did it change them over time? It's, it's almost like an opportunity to really lean into woman to woman mentorship and do it on a level that is honest and truthful and raw. So Dare to Interrupt was, I love the title and I still love it. It's not, it hasn't gotten old for me yet, which is very exciting. <laughs> it's a project that has been um, really close to my heart for the past year and a half now. And it's, the, it's really about having the courage to speak up and to really know your worth and to do it, to speak up with confidence in a way where maybe you are, you know, sitting around a table and you're the person who has an idea that's different, or maybe you disagree, or, you know, maybe you're sitting around a table and it's all men and you're the only woman in the room. It's the idea that you choose courage over going with the flow, I guess. So true. So true. I, I, I embrace what, what you've said, and I just enjoying all the podcasts. I haven't got through them all, but I'll, I, I will for sure. <laughs> From all your guests, who stood out the most to you and why? Oh, my goodness. So we have had some really rock star guests on the show. One of the women that I really enjoyed speaking with um, she's actually, her name's Elizabeth. She's actually the VP of communications at Instagram. She used to work at Facebook. She's worked with Sheryl Sandberg. And I really appreciated her leadership style because she was so herself. She was so herself. I, when I asked her to send me, you know, send me a photo that you love of yourself to include with, with the podcast episode, she sends me this nerdy, goofy, awkward teenager photo. And she's got braces and she's wearing this matching, you know, ridiculously like head to toe matching red and white outfit. And it just, it made me step back and, and just think about how too often I think we, we try to show up as our most polished self instead of just being ourself. And she, the whole interview, the whole conversation was exactly that. It was so refreshing for better or for worse, her advice was true to her. And I think that that interview left me feeling like, I didn't always have to be so serious because a lot of times, you know, I do show up as this polished, you know, professional I've done, you know, I volunteered on all these boards and committees and there's so much more to people than we see. And it was just refreshing to be able to see somebody put that first instead of letting them, you know, get to know them. And then they find out they're goofy. It was like, no, this is who I am. So she was one of the, one of the women that I really enjoyed interviewing. 
I will also say one of the more recent interviews or podcasts that we did was with Michelle Thornton and she she's a planner based out of LA. She's a new friend. I haven't actually met her in person yet. It was one of those virtual conference connections, which is so cool that that's actually a thing. And our conversation was all about workplace trauma and toxic leadership. So she shared her story about working for somebody who truly was a terrible leader, toxic, somewhat manipulative and arguably abusive to his employees. And she shared how that actually affected not just her mental health and her sense of worth and her confidence, but also her physical health and how she ended up in the hospital because she had an overwhelming panic attack. And it, it just, her story was important, but it was also relatable because I've had those, those experiences as well. And I actually just looked at the statistics for the podcast the other day. That was the most listened to podcast yet. And it really reaffirmed to me the importance of not being afraid of repercussions for having those conversations. I think a lot of times people are scared to really talk about the real stuff, the tough stuff that they've been through because they don't want, you know, they don't want to not insult anybody, but they don't want to stick their neck out so far that there are consequences. And it sounds like you're bad mouthing or, you know, there are repercussions because maybe the person hears about it and they get upset. Those are very real possibilities. But at the end of the day, it was her story. It was her truth. And the wisdom and the advice that she shared growing from that experience was really transformational. And I hope helpful to the audience. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that um, somewhere in everybody's archives, they have a situation similar to that. I can, I can relate actually. Mm -hmm. um, yep. <laughs> does the, the uh, impression on a woman to be serious or polished, a copying mechanism to get a seat at the table and be taken seriously? Do you think that's I think so. I do. I think that we show up the way that we think we need to be seen, whether that is getting a seat at the table, whether it's, you know, booking new business. I think that there is, it is important to show up and to be professional and to be polished. But I think that there's also value in truly just leading with your authenticity first. And what I have found as I have built my business is that the more that I am myself, the first of all, the more business that I book, but secondly, I'm booking the right clients. So that's, what's been fascinating to me is that I, sometimes in the past, when I have shown up the way that I think that I need to show up, it doesn't actually attract the right customers, the right friends, the right people in my life. And in business, it translates over to that beautifully, where now I feel like I'm, I'm really stepping into you know, when I'm speaking the topics that are truly meaningful to me, you know, it's, it's not just five ways to brand yourself, but it might be, you know, how to actually truly overcome imposter syndrome and, and speak up and use your voice and allow that to propel you forward in your career. And those types of conversations that are more meaningful to me have truly attracted and connected me to people who have booked me for business with an audience that actually makes sense for me. So I think that, yes, we show up in a way where we're trying to meet a goal. We're trying to, you know, brand ourselves or be seen as in a certain way. But I personally have found that the more that I'm just myself, the more that 
the reward is greater for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Authenticity. Yeah. On your, on your recent podcast that was hosted at Jimmy Kimmel's comedy club, which I, I watched, I wished I had been there in person in Las Vegas, but um, that was during the MPI world education conference, which you called leaning into vulnerability, tough topics and bold leadership. The podcast led with this statement last year, there were more women than men in the workforce for the first time in a decade. Fast forward to a year later, and we are facing a she session due to the COVID-19 crisis disproportionately affecting working women with four times more women than men leaving the workforce as of last fall. The clock has clearly been turned back. She session. I've heard this term a few times now. Can you elaborate more on what the term means to you and the meetings industry more specifically? Absolutely. So the industry we know is made up of about 80% women. So women are truly dominating our field. But with the pandemic, what we also saw is that there was a need for a parent to be home. And not just home, but watching and caring for their children. When normally, maybe they would send their kids to daycare or, um, you know, they would find another solution to be able to do their job and also parent. But during the pandemic, there wasn't that option. Daycares were closed. People, you know, babysitters are not coming over like they used to. And a lot of women, when it when push came to shove, what we saw in the data is that between, you know, the, the male figure in the household and the female figure in the household, if it was that type of structure, the woman would be the one to step away from work and to have to take a little bit of a, a hit in terms of career and be that primary caretaker for their children. And that's not, that's not the only variable that led to this she session, but what we saw in a bottom line aspect is that women left the workforce and they left much more frequently than men did. And so we did turn the clock back. We're sitting in a place now where women have to, in a, in a market that's very competitive right now, specifically within the meetings industry, because we haven't fully come back yet. There aren't, you know, there isn't this abundance of jobs quite yet. I think it's coming, but we're hiring little by little. Events are still virtual in a lot of places. They're still hybrid. So we're not, we're not there yet. And these women are competing for jobs that are scarce comparatively, you know, looking at a few years back. So we are now sitting in a place where, yes, even though our industry is typically made up of 80% women, so many women had to leave the workforce and now we're trying to step back into it and there aren't enough jobs. So we're, we're looking at this challenge where we've worked so hard to get women into these seats and these leadership positions. And it's almost like we're starting from a place that's, that's just ancient. <laughs> so yeah. it'll, it's, it's going to be backpedaling. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's going to be critical that the industry finds ways to support women's needs as they re-enter the industry. A lot has changed. People actually, a lot of people prefer to work at home or, you know, would like to have a little bit more of a balanced family career at home, remote work versus always in the office kind of life. And the industry really needs to take this opportunity to listen to what women actually need to get them back into those roles and to make sure that we are elevating the industry as a whole. Yeah, 
That's great. What are some of the solutions that you are hearing from people in leadership, ensuring their employees are in balance and showing them empathy? How does that look like in your opinion? Does mental health come into it? Any of the conversations you're having with women today? Yes. And I think the conversation around mental health is really that we need to be doing more, that companies need to be doing more, that leadership needs to be prioritizing wellness and mental health for their teams and for their employees. This pandemic has truly aggravated any mental health um, challenges that people have had leading up to this point. And there are so many statistics around that too, around how people really have struggled and how they've dealt with being quarantined. And, you know, we've seen divorce rates spike and people have lost loved ones. And there's been a lot of trauma that people have faced. And I truly do believe that it is the responsibility of organizations and leadership at those companies to create a space that encourages wellness and encourages employees to take care of themselves and to put their mental health first. And I don't think that that is the norm as of today. I think that we definitely have a ways to go, but I think the conversation is important enough and it's happening enough at the employee level that hopefully we do see some change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think uh, leadership can have more empathy towards their employee? Like when they're raising a flag, like uh, on brain drain, or they've got too much in their plate. Do you think this is why so many are not coming back to the work workforce? Do you see a certain demographic, like affected men versus women, certain age group? I do think, I do think that employers can definitely have more empathy for their people. And this is, you know, the age old, it's all about the bottom line type of scenario where businesses at the end of the day are there to make a profit, but where companies miss the mark is they'll focus solely on the numbers. And sometimes there's a significant disconnect between the importance of the happiness and sustainability of their employees and those bottom line numbers. I think too often companies look at people as replaceable and that is so much more costly, <laughs> so much more costly than if we were to actually just truly invest in the really fantastic talent that we have in the company and give them what they need so that they can flourish, that they are happy, that they're serving their customers in a way that is truly effective and leads to a better bottom line for the company. So I think that there is definitely a huge opportunity for organizations to lead with more empathy. Um, I would say in terms of the demographics, I wouldn't say that there is a specific group of people that deserves more empathy, but I would say that there, I think across the board, all companies could probably be doing a better job. Yeah. I, I enjoyed your podcast with uh, Megan Henshaw from Google, where her positive word uh, to describe herself was sensitivity. It seemed to resonate greatly with you as well. And how do you feel we can improve women's collaboration? So I am so glad that you mentioned that episode, Susan. If for those of you listening, if you are going to listen to an episode of Dare to Interrupt, Megan Henschel's episode is fantastic. She works for Google. She's brilliant. She is real, which I think was my favorite part about her. And every guest that I have on the show, I'll ask them in the prep question questionnaire, what is one word that you would use to describe yourself? And hers was sensitive. And I truly thought it was a mistake. I <laughs> went back to the, the questionnaire that I had sent her and I had to check to see if I had made a mistake in the way that I phrased the question because 
sensitivity is, is there's it's always looked at as such a weakness and such a negative trait and even words like emotional you know that's kind of a dirty word when we're looking at the way that we operate in business but megan purposefully chose the word sensitive and i I loved her answer. It completely shifted my perspective and even how I view the strength of sensitivity. Her thought process was that her strength in being sensitive allowed her to better empathize with the people around her. It allowed her to more deeply connect with her team and even the work that she was doing. And I think that as women, a lot of times, you know, we see these very, you know, loud and confident men in these boardrooms and in these company meetings. And we feel like we have to step into those shoes and we have to change our behavior to become more masculine when in reality, a lot of our strength comes from just how we are normally, whatever that means to you as an individual. For me personally, I am a very sensitive person. I am very emotionally intelligent and I am very empathetic. And those are incredible strengths that a lot of people, men included, may not have to the degree that I have or a Megan Henschel has or somebody else. So it, it really does us a disservice when we put our top leading strengths in the backseat and we try to be the person that we think that they need in the room, which truly is not the way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. <laughs> very, very truthful and very important words that you've just brought out to us. Uh, thank you so much for that. I read on CNBC that pre-pandemic American workers use only half of their eligible vacation time, according to a study by jobs and recruitment website Glassdoor. You know, we Quebecers certainly enjoy our vacation. A funny statement I always hear here in Ontario is they live to work and in Quebec we work to live. So vacation is important to us. How do you feel about having lived here in Canada and now back in the U.S.? Is vacation time important to you and do you take them? Yeah. I loved vacation. <laughs> vacation is so important. And I, it's so funny, Susan, because I actually tweeted out the other day. So I, if you look at my Twitter, it's mostly just like stream of consciousness, like something pops in my head and I tweet it out into the universe. One of the things that came to mind the other day for me was that I really would like to commit to a, a, adopting a European uh, work-life balance culture for myself. So something interesting that I realized last year as I was hustling and, you know, trying to figure out how the heck am I going to survive as a business was when you're self-employed, it's important to remember that you are, people always say, it must be so great to be your own boss. Well, that depends on the type of boss that you are <laughs> to yourself. And there was a moment last year where I realized I actually was a terrible boss to myself. And I had two young ladies who were working as interns on my team and, you know, they were my, my golden children. I treated them with, you know, the utmost care. But when it came to how I treated myself, I mean, I was pushing myself to work, you know, 14 hour days and to not take breaks and would just be in front of my screen all day. And at the end of the day, the internal dialogue that I would have with myself would often be, you didn't do enough. And there came a moment where I was like, whoa, whoa. Like if, if I was working for a person that wasn't me, that was treating me in this way, there's no way I would stay. It's not sustainable. I wasn't giving myself enough positive feedback and encouragement and nurturing my needs as my own employee. So I really had to take a step back. And even moving into this year, 
Oh my gosh. I mean, um, America truly is a, a working culture. And because we do live in a capitalist society and there are really great things about capitalism, but it, it truly is a lot of times, the more hours you put in, the more money you make. And so we've adopted this culture and we've, I mean, truly we're immersed in this culture where it's better to work longer and taking time off is not the priority. But for me personally, mental, my mental health is really, really important. And I have struggled with anxiety for years now. And the longer I work, the more I work, the less that I take care of myself, the more exacerbated that anxiety becomes. So for me, it's really critical that I take the time that I need to breathe and to work out and to spend time with friends and to shut down my email. And even every weekend I'll put on an out of office so that people know I don't work on weekends. And I've become very strict with myself to make sure that I am treating myself in a way that is good for me. But yeah, it's interesting, Susan, because it is so different around the world with work culture and how we expect to show up and how we actually do show up for our employers or for ourselves if we're self-employed. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need to move to Quebec City. It's like Europe and North America, you know. <laughs> oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think Americans as opposed to Europeans are not able to use up all their vacation time? Are, are women reluctant to raise the flag to their managers? Uh, only women or all employees in your opinion? I think I can't speak, for, I cannot speak for men in this regard, but I can speak for myself personally. I think that there's honestly, there's a little bit of shame in asking for time off and, and there's guilt. I think that's a better word for it. There is this guilt that you are not working as hard as the person next to you, or, you know, taking time off is irresponsible. There is, there is definitely an air of that, I think, depending on the workplace that you're in. Now, I've worked for some really phenomenal people as well who truly prioritize vacation. But I think it also depends on the example that leadership sets, because depending on who you're working for, if that person does not take vacation, if they do take a you know mental health day or something, but then you see them on email all day long, it sets the expectation for the people who work for them. And I think that's really where it becomes difficult as an employee or a team member to feel comfortable to really go against the grain of that work culture and disconnect and truly take time off. So I do think that it, it is an issue. It is definitely an issue that a lot of American work culture has. And I think, I don't think it's to anybody's benefit to grind yeah. and hustle that hard all day long. We have to take care of ourselves. And yes. to be honest, that's not what life is about. It's not about yeah. work. At the end of the day, you know, people will survey those who are on their deathbed. And, you know, you hear this all the time, but I think it's so important to reiterate they they'll survey people who are at the end of their life and they'll ask them, what do you wish that you had done more of? And people always say, spend time with my family, yeah. travel, live, breathe, just enjoy life. Nobody ever says work. Yeah. Oh boy. So true. So true. I I'm very fortunate to work with, um, with a, a great team at Quebec city who, who just, and a great leadership. We all, 
respect each other's time. I've never worked really on the weekend. It's, you know, it's just a great work environment. So I, I really, that resonates a lot with me, uh, Courtney, because I've, I've had the other. And so I can appreciate what you're saying there. Now, given the recent study from the Florida Atlantic University, where they mentioned that more than 33% of respondents will be seeking employment outside our industry over the next year, while the number of new job opportunities are increasing, where do you think this will leave our industry with the talent pool decrease? Do you think we need to tell a better story about our industry? As I read from an article that Annette Gregg wrote for MPI, and if so, what story would need to be told to attract talent back to our industry? Yes. So I'm so glad that you mentioned Annette Gregg, because really this conversation, we talked about this on our podcast in Las Vegas at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club. And I, I loved Annette's perspective on this. And her her thought is that the industry has a PR problem. We, I mean, truly, if we just get down to the black and white, you're not going to make a lot of money necessarily in the industry, especially if you are a planner, unless you're a planner, you know, at a tech company or you're at a big corporation, which those jobs exist, that money is out there, but most people will not end up at that level. So the the opportunity for income growth really taps out at a level that is probably significantly lower than other industries or other fields. Um, we also, as an industry, have a reputation for burnout. You know, every year you look at the Forbes, you know, list of top 10 most stressful jobs, and we see some sort of event position end up on that list, event coordinator, event manager, whatever it is. This reputation has existed for a very long time. So here now we're looking at two things. One, burnout, you know, issues with mental health and work-life balance, but also your the hours that you're putting in are not going to be compensated nearly as much maybe as another field that you step into. So during the pandemic, as people were furloughed and the majority of conversations that I have with people, people say that 2020 was a great opportunity to reroute themselves and to spend more time with family, which is so wonderful. But stepping back into an industry where they are working these really long hours and it's just expected, that's part of the job, you know, to, you're going to be up morning and night working these conferences. I've, I actually worked for an events agency in the past and I truly empathize with all of my planners who work for agencies where it's not that you're planning one annual conference or two conferences a year. It's that you're literally turning out and grinding out event after event after event for all these different clients. I do think that our industry has an opportunity to, again, just reassess the needs of the people who aren't maybe coming back or are a bit hesitant about stepping back into the industry. If we're able to address some of these challenges and make sure that we're providing people what they actually need and what they desire in those roles and those opportunities, we won't necessarily have as much of a struggle attracting the right talent to the right jobs. But there's a there's a real opportunity here. And I think Annette Gregg's article speaks volumes about it. Right. Right. Yeah, that's great. Uh, on one of your podcasts, uh, you talked about having, did you, did you, were you, uh, were you ever let go or did you leave a job on your own uh, accord? And, and, and if you, if it did, how did it affect you and what words of encouragement about what you learned? So, yes, the answer is yes. I have been let go twice. So I've, 
<laughs> so I have technically had four official jobs in my career so far. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the first two I was let go from. The third I quit. And the fourth I'm in now working for myself. So at this point, fingers crossed, I don't let myself go. I think we'll be good there. <laughs> but <laughs> I, the first thing that I want to say about this is how normal it is to lose your job. It is ex extremely, excessively, abnormally normal compared to what people might think. You know, getting fired, being laid off, getting let go, however it happens, losing your job feels terrible. And it can feel really personal to where we, you know, really question what we did wrong. And, you know, maybe we weren't worthy of the opportunity or we weren't good enough. There's that conversation about self-worth, I think, that a lot of people have when they lose their job. But what people don't realize is that a lot of people don't realize that it is extremely common to get fired, to lose your job. And it never feels good. But a lot of times it has less to do with you I mean, most times it has nothing to do with you as a human being and as a person, and it has more to do with the circumstances, whether it's the company's finances or, I mean, maybe it wasn't the right opportunity for you to be completely truthful, whether that's because it wasn't the right fit for you, you know, in the role or culturally, or you were working for a toxic leader and thank goodness they let you go and you're on your way. But I think what happens when people do are let go is that it really does take a toll and a hit on their confidence. So a lot of the, the coaching that I do, the one-on-one -on -one coaching is not just about how to strategically build a brand or how to really climb the ladder in your industry, but it's also about if you've been through a situation like that and you've been let go, re-identifying your strengths, finding your voice again, re-identifying your passions and rebuilding your confidence and knowing that you do have a lot to bring to the table. So let's figure out what those things are and how you can communicate it in a way that's effective and that feels real to you. But it's so normal, Susan. I wish more people <laughs> knew that because it's it's yes. painful. It's so painful the first time and the second time because then you're like, okay, you know, common denominator is me. But it's so often not personal. And I truly wish and hope that people hear that. I hope yeah. people hear that message. Yeah, it's a great message. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, during one of your podcasts, there was a discussion about asking tough questions, whether in diversity and inclusion, pay equity, racism. Do you think the meeting industry is doing well on these subjects? I think the industry is trying. Okay. I think the industry is trying, which is, to me, an improvement from maybe even, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, they're actually one of the, one of the first opportunities that I had to talk about some of those tough topics was when I, I did a, a round table discussion for connect meetings and the conversation, I believe the session was called something like, um, you know, meetings after dark. And we talked about things like sexual harassment or, um, some of those, those darker topics that you just don't hear happening in a lot of conversations, especially professional conferences. So I think from that point years ago until now, I think that I am seeing an improvement in the industry. But that said, I also feel like it's still a little bit too manicured. I think that mm. there's, there's still this, this need for organizations to control the dialogue so that it doesn't push boundaries too, too much. You know, you're, the voices that you're seeing on stage a lot of times are 
truthfully, some of the safer voices, people who are, they know not to say the wrong thing. So they're going to be very careful with their words. And there's some strategy behind that. I don't, I don't, you know, fault people for wanting to make sure that they're being professional. I think that's important. But I do think that there is still a need for people to just have a conversation that's real and authentic, because that's going to be more relatable to the audience and more effective in catalyzing change for the industry moving forward. Yeah, good response. A little more raw, rawness we need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I was recently on a webinar where Deloitte took a survey and asked Gen Ys and millennials what their number one value for them was, and the numbers revealed it was climate change. Given that they determined this might reduce travel in the future, how do you see climate change affecting our industry? Ooh, that's a really great question, Susan. And um, I'm not sure if you probably don't know this because I don't often include it in my professional biographies, but the the most recent position that I held working for another employer was with an environmental political group. So I learned so much, so much about what's happening in the world, you know, in terms of climate change and environmental protections and clean water and clean air and really, really important thing. So it's not surprising to me to hear that climate change is such an important topic for a younger generation. So I have heard conversations about, you know, how, how much it damages our earth to have, you know, an international flight or truthfully, the, the, the one type of uh, transportation that comes to mind are cruise ships. I think that we have, I think there are a lot of opportunities for us to figure out how the heck we can transform that industry so that it does really prioritize the importance of sustainability and protecting our planet. But I think in terms of the industry, with any industry, I think there are these topics that become trendy and that are you know hot for a minute and we talk about it and you see it at every conference there's a session on something like sustainability or being green certified and then you know a couple of years go by and we're not really having those conversations anymore and i think what's interesting about the pandemic is that when we were all underground and quarantined our planet was able to have a minute to heal and we saw drastic changes in air quality and in wildlife and as we come back to a world that is maybe a bit more normal and you know it's functioning in a way that that is pre-pandemic i think it's going to be interesting to see whether these conversations uh, on sustainability in the industry come back to the forefront of you know our education that we see at conferences and and leadership panels and truthfully i hope it does especially because we are seeing the that this is such an important topic for to up and coming generations, but I don't know, Susan, I think yeah. it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens and if the industry is truly ready to make change, or it's just kind of one of those trending topics that come and go. Yeah. Cause I remember back in 20, I want to say 2011, 2012, we were green key meetings. That was a big, uh, you know, the foundation yeah. was working on that. So, and then it went away. Um, so here we are back again. And I, I noticed that they, I attended a sustainability uh, summit. So the conversations are coming out, but it, it will be interesting to see how, how it progresses and if it stays in the forefront. 
Mm -hmm. So let's not forget about the positive impact events uh, have on our respective local economies. Uh, Do you believe that green venues can be part of the solution? Like in Quebec City, the Convention Centre is a LEED certified building that integrates eco-friendly processes. Will this be top of mind, do you believe, for planners going forward and influence their decision-making process on choosing one city over another? Oh, that is such an interesting question. So I do think that I applaud the the convention centers and the venues that truly do prioritize sustainability because that's expensive. That's the that's the other thing. It takes a great amount of time and thought and investment to become a lead certified venue. So first of all, hats off to to the venues that did actually make that a priority and follow through. From the planner side, so we actually did just see a new certification come out, I believe through the EIC um, that's sustainability focused. So I am starting to see the conversation pick up in certain areas. To be honest, I don't know that the planner will prioritize it unless, unless their leadership does the leadership at their particular organizations that says, hey, this needs to be part of our strategy. We are, you know, a a sustainable company. We want to be responsible in terms of our engagement, you know, on this planet. I think it truly does have to come from the top because a lot of times, you know, the, the top priorities that a planner has don't always include sustainability. They include things like the budget and, you know, whatever their strategic objectives are, but you don't always see that in the conversation. So, I think for, in order for planners to really prioritize it, I think that they have to either make the case to leadership or it has to be an issue that's already embedded in the priority of that particular organization's leadership. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you think our industry will look like going forward and how will they restart given this reality? Uh, How has it been finally uh, to go back to -to face-to-face events? Was that experience... At the MPIWEC conference in Las Vegas, for example, was it felt like business as usual or did something feel different? Truthfully, it felt pretty darn normal. It felt pretty darn normal. And I did not attend the MPIWEC in Grapevine, which happened in November of 2020. Personally, I wasn't quite comfortable yet to be back face to face. And I did hear that that conference was very different than obviously it was a much smaller attendance rate. Um, but you know, there were a lot of masks and sanitization practices that took place. And there were a lot of procedures and practices that were implemented at WEC in Las Vegas a couple or a month ago in June. But as a participant, as an attendee, it really didn't feel different from conferences in years past. The the most stark contrast that I saw really was just that it was smaller and we were missing that global presence, our international community. But I think the industry is looking forward to getting back to that feeling of normalcy. And I do think that there, there should be a bit of caution because so much has changed and so many there were so many opportunities for us to grow coming out of the pandemic not just in terms of safety and health, but also in terms of, you know, the conversations we've been having, really important conversations that we've been having around, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and inclusion. There are so many things that that we talked about in this last year that were really transformational. So my hope is that the industry 
truly does take this opportunity to make important changes. But I think time will tell. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much we'll just want to go back to that sense of normalcy and we'll kind of close our eyes and pretend that, you know, nothing really happened or people truly are excited and see the importance of making those shifts moving forward. I do think time will tell. Yes. Yes, I agree. Now, now how do you think women can improve their positions to grow and advance in their careers post-pandemic? Do you see that people are more in touch with their life purpose? I think you just alluded to that. Uh, I've heard the word authentic quite a bit lately. What would you suggest or offer some encouraging words for women to advance in the meetings industry? I would say that we only have one life. <laughs> I think getting getting down to more of the, you know, philosophical perspective, I think that this last year gave people an opportunity to really look at life more from that perspective where it's like, what am I doing? You know, am I doing mm -hmm. this, the things that actually make me happy? And that's such, that's such an important part of how we spend our time is, are we actually living a joyful life? And a lot of people will say no. And a lot of that no comes from what they're doing, you know, 40 plus hours a week and the person that they work for or the environment they work in, or even just the role that they have and the job that they're doing. So I think, yes, I think this past year has given people an opportunity to really reflect on not just their happiness and their joy and what they like doing, but also are they doing something that's purposeful and meaningful to them? And is that important? Because a lot of people may not prioritize having purposeful work and that's okay. Not everybody has the same priorities, but I think for those who do prioritize that purpose, that life's purpose, that I think that this is going to be a game-changing transition for a lot of people and women specifically, as we've seen more women leave the workforce and have that time to really reevaluate which direction will they take moving forward and stepping back into the workplace? I think that's going to be really interesting to see. And, and did you find your life purpose and authenticity when you started your own business? I think I'm learning every day. I think I, I am not comfortable or confident saying that I know exactly what I'm on this earth to do and that I have, you know, I've accomplished my life's goal and I'm on the right track. It's interesting because a lot of people would would assume like, oh my gosh, you know, you started your own business. It looks like you're doing well. It looks like you're really doing what you love. And I think some of those things are true. Absolutely. But I also think that for me, it's, it's just such a journey. It's such a process, really understanding the type of work that I'm doing. When do I feel most fulfilled and how can I recreate those moments or make them bigger? So I think it's, it's definitely an evolution, but I truly believe that taking this risk was the right step for me to be able to better clarify that purpose and get creative and have fun with it too. Good. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. Now with flex work, sometimes in offices, uh, do you see this affecting people's promotions or equity in the workplace? I think in some industries and in some work cultures, Yes. I think in, in the type of environment where it is expected and you're rewarded for showing up, being there, being the person who's at every meeting, there are companies that prioritize that. But I also think that people are calling a little bit of BS on that. And people 
I mean, there are studies that show that people have actually been more productive working from home. (laughs) So I think that at this point, people are like, hey, you know, I actually did a lot. I I performed a lot better, you know, when I was able to actually have a little bit more flexibility. And at the end of the day, people want to see results. So if your results are better in an environment that's more flexible, that's what's going to get you a promotion. It's not necessarily that showing up every single day in an office, if your results are lesser than somebody who's working with a more flexible schedule, what companies should be doing is looking at that, not just, you know, who's actually here and who, you know, is, is committed to being physically present in the office every single day. Um, Even bigger corporations like, you know, General Motors out of Detroit, Michigan, they have shifted their their work from home policy to where before I believe that it was really quite rare for people to work from home. It was very expected for people to show up on site every day. And they had a total shift of work culture and expectation throughout the pandemic where everybody for the most part that could work from home worked from home. And now it's com- it's it's completely up to the employee what they want to do. There's no expectation. Maybe they, they go in once a, a week, but What's also interesting to me is they are a company that's led by a woman. So it'll be fascinating to see the companies that do make these shifts that prioritize more flexibility and work-life balance, who are they being led by and what is that leader's priority? That's that's a very interesting point. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I had one of the HR leaders said that one of her employees wanted to work remotely um, out of the instead of in the Toronto office, but to live in Vancouver. I thought that was pretty, that's very remote. Yes, Um, (laughs) a bit of a trip. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a trip if she had to come in for any kind of meeting or he, (laughs) yeah. Um, uh, I noticed on your website that you have Dare to Interrupt VIP Mastermind. Can you elaborate more about this five-week VIP experience for ambitious women and what inspired you to launch this program? Yes. So I absolutely love group coaching. So I, as I mentioned, I do one-on-one coaching for career development, um, branding yourself, and also confidence training. And what I will be launching later this year is a group coaching program where it's probably going to be mostly women, I would guess, if not all women that become part of this particular program. But it's five weeks of really collaborating with one another, sharing ideas, sharing their stories, digging into the challenges that they face in their career and also in their personal life and working together as a team with facilitation led by me as their coach to be able to really outline their goals and make a strategic plan to get to wherever they wanna be, whether that is in career or that is maybe more on the personal side or intrinsic side. So I, yeah, I'm so excited for it, Susan. It's going to be so much fun. And the best part, I think truly other than, you know, the, the content's going to be great. I think the conversations will be wonderful, but I think the best part is that it is so community oriented. So not only do these women come into this program and they get something out of it individually, but they also make a whole new group of friends, not just, you know, to network with, but also as a support system, which I believe is truly, truly critical to anybody's success, but specifically women. Yes, it, it, I, you know, from hearing you earlier on in, in the podcast, it meant a lot to you to have that group of friends and uh, new colleagues to, 
you know, in your entrepreneurship. So I see a lot of value in that for sure. Now I joined your lemonade virtual event called I dream it. I work hard. I'll grind it. I own it. it. That was a fun event on international women's day. Can you tell us more about it and where you found that title and, uh, just are you doing more of them? <laughs> I'll answer your last question first. Yes, I'll definitely be doing more of those. For the first half of this year, I put on a program every single month um, and they were on all different topics, whether it was confidence building or branding yourself or um, you know, even LinkedIn, how to, you know, use LinkedIn more effectively or how to build your business, that kind of thing. Lemonade was my favorite event by far of the year. Also, just the biggest event that I have planned so far under my own name and my own brand. Um, Lemonade was an International Women's Day virtual conference, and it was inspired by Beyonce, because why not? <laughs> so when I was thinking about, I knew I wanted to bring women together in a way that was fun, that was fun. There was going to be great content, great speakers, but it also just felt like you were hanging out with your girlfriends. And so as I was thinking about, you know, what do I like? What lights me up? What makes me feel on fire for life? And it makes, what makes me feel like the best, most confident version of myself. I love music and I love powerhouse women artists specifically, obviously Queen Bee, Beyonce is, you know, the best of the best. And I love all of her music. I, I just love her. And so I thought, you know, why not create a conference that is centered around her music and her lyrics. So Lemonade is actually the name of one of Beyonce's album. And the tagline that you read off, Susan, okay. uh, that is, those are lyrics from one of her songs. So every single speaker, I think we had eight keynote speakers, and then we had one panel of four women. Every single session was named after one of Beyonce's songs. We had a DJ who introed them with that particular song. And then the message that each speaker had was something that had to do with those lyrics. So um, for example, I think we had maybe one that was called Worldwide Woman. And it was all about, you know, building your business and really building the life that you want. It was such a fun event. Um, the feedback, I always ask for feedback for any event that I do. The feedback was extremely positive and I will definitely be doing something again. Probably not Beyonce again, because there are so many other leading ladies to theme this type of experience after, but yes, we'll definitely be doing something again. Oh, good. I look forward to seeing it and, and being part of it again. That was so much fun. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad you came, Susan. Yeah. I, I love one of your other titles as well from your podcast. When you get a seat at the table, pull up another chair. Brilliant title. Can you tell us more about the ideas about transforming society's limited scarcity mindset you mentioned and tra transform it into collaboration over competition? I am a firm believer that we get more done when we work together. And I'm also a believer in there being enough for everybody, which is that abundance mindset. A lot of times women specifically will operate in a scarcity mindset, which is basically the idea that there's not enough. There's not enough. There aren't enough seats at the table. I have to fight for that one seat. I have to compete. The woman next to me is not my friend. She's my competitor. And you know what? Sometimes that's effective. Sometimes, you know, being competitive and fighting for, sometimes there aren't enough seats and you do have to, you know, be, be the person that stands out and rises to the top. That's a very realistic way to look at it. But what I have found is that 
the more that I surround myself with people that inspire me and that I would do anything for, that I would want to support and empower, the more that that type of energy and that type of relationship is returned. And especially being an entrepreneur and being a business owner, the power of word of mouth and referrals, and even just from a financial standpoint, it makes so much more sense to be collaborative than it does competitive. And a lot of times, you know, the negative things that we experience in the workplace, whether it's gossip or bullying or competition, those negative experiences often are rooted in this scarcity mindset where people feel like they have to be careful and, you know, they can't get too close and, you know, keep your enemies closer, that kind of idea. And it's actually damaging to help others and to, you know, pull up chairs for other people around that table when that's not what I have found at all. The title of that episode, you know, when you get a seat at the table, pull up another chair is also quite literal. So, you know, I have served on these international board of directors and, There are a limited number of seats around that table, but why not take the opportunity to groom somebody to take your seat when your time is up? Why not, you know, create that, that plan to make sure that issues that are really important to you and conversations that need to continue after you leave, why not make sure that you can actually put somebody in that position that's going to continue that conversation. I don't think a lot of times we think down the road enough. We're thinking we're here, we made it, we're going to be present, which is great. But what happens when we leave? Where's that legacy going to grow and thrive? Or does everything just kind of go back to normal as if you hadn't been there at all? So definitely collaboration over competition every day. And there is enough there is enough. And if opportunities don't work out for you, they probably weren't meant for you. So go find the one that actually is and cheer on the person that got that opportunity because they're in the right place for them. Yeah. Well, that sounds like, I like the personal succession plan. That's a really good, good thought. Um, I, having just been to the WEC conference, can you say that face-to-face creates more business opportunities that we might miss by always being virtual? Absolutely. I, I, nothing will ever replace face-to-face virtual is extremely impactful and valuable. I think we've seen that you, you know, your reach in terms of the, the number of eyes that are on your content, on your brand, on your material, on your product, whatever it is, is, is massive when you're able to include that virtual element, but there is power in being in the same room with somebody and making eye contact and shaking somebody's hand and seeing their body language and how they respond to things you're saying and really truly building that relationship. It's different when you're virtual. And like I mentioned before, I, I made some really great connections during our virtual time during the pandemic. And I still haven't met some of those people in person and they've become close allies of mine. But there is nothing like having a glass of wine on a patio with somebody and just getting to know them. There's nothing that'll ever replace that. And in business, that is extremely valuable to be able to build those relationships in a way that is long lasting and not just short-term transactional. Right, right. I'm, I'm seeing, starting to see a lot more smaller groups, but incentives coming. And uh, I think that is what they need to do. The team needs to get away and be together with each other. Now, have you ever been to Quebec City? And if yes, what was your favorite experience there? 
No. And this breaks (gasps) my heart because I, it has been at the top of my list for so long. I mean, I'm a sucker for a European vibe. So I, (laughs) I have Googled so many times, you know, Quebec city and looked at how beautiful it is. And I have been to Quebec. I've been to Montreal once, but I absolutely need to visit Quebec city. And it's, it's, it will happen. I know it will. I cannot wait for that moment. Well, you know who to get in touch with. That's for sure. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Now, as we start to open up in Canada and the borders are looking like they will open soon, do you, do you have, do you have some plans to come back up to Canada? I will make plans. The second that border opens, I will be over there. I, you know, living in Toronto, I made probably some of the best friends that I've ever had in my life. And I miss them dearly. I actually had a friend just get married um, two days ago and the borders are closed, so I couldn't be there. And it just, uh, I am so looking forward to that moment where I can just go and have some really great food and catch up with great people. And yeah, the second that border opens, I will be hopping in my car and driving over. Well, and when you do, we're not far down the road. So you can make a little <laughs> side side trip to Quebec City and, and we would love to show you around the city and and um, share with you all our great restaurants and historical uh, buildings and all, all the lovely that. people there. Yes. So, well, I've concluded our questions. We've got through them all. Oh my gosh, such great questions too. Thank you so much, Courtney. You've been fantastic. I've just really, really enjoyed our time together today. So um, thank you. Just bless you and thank you for being part of our podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank. I want to thank your team, first of all, for creating this podcast because it's, it's wonderful and important. And I want to thank you, Susan, for your thoughtful questions. I feel like we covered so many topics and it truly was an honor to be a part of this. And I can't wait to share it with my people. Merci beaucoup for listening to the Quebec City Business Destination Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Courtney Stanley. I personally found it to be extremely uplifting as Courtney delves into self-work on building confidence and having real empathy in the workplace as a leader and nurturing and growing women's advancement in our meeting and events industry. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast or follow us on social media if you do not want to miss the next episode. Our social handle is at Meet Quebec City. À la prochaine! Thank you.